More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Third hour of Clay and Buck gets going right now, and we're also at uh, kickoff for the U.S. men's national team against Iran. The game underway. Clay going to be hiding his facial expressions as he has a monitor on. We usually just have news on in our respective studios, um, but that's obviously a big game, and uh, we'll be watching it after this radio program. Uh, in the meantime, I had mentioned this to you. I thought this was so interesting, the, the timing of it. And, and it brings up some, some broader, uh, broader issues and, and concerns, I think. Energy is one of the weak points of the Biden regime. There's no question about that. Uh, energy policy, fossil fuels, they have an ideological obsession with limiting and, and pushing back as much as possible fossil fuel development in favor of renewables, even when they're more expensive, even when uh, it has massive geopolitical implications. I mean, look at how the Russian economy has collapsed. Oh, wait, no, it hasn't. But that was what was going to happen, right? When we started, oh, but we actually can't stop them from selling their oil. And that's not even, hasn't even been shut down by the sanctions. Venezuela, though, is a country that the left does not want to talk to you about very much. You know, I spent a lot of time uh, in Florida and South Florida in particular in clay. The Venezuelan, uh, refugee population in the United States is very, very considerable, very large, especially in South Florida. And uh, Venezuela has been, you've had about 6 million people in the last decade fleeing Venezuela. You have 6 million people who are just couldn't deal with it anymore. They've seen the every aspect of life in Venezuela, economically, socially, politically, there's not enough food on the shelves the economy is destroyed. Hyperinflation is happening. All this has been going on. And it's because you have the Maduro socialist regime of thugs who are very quick to talk about social justice and redistribution of wealth. They've destroyed what was the second wealthiest country in uh, in, in, Latin, uh, in South America. Yes, I believe the second wealthiest country. Um, and even per capita, when you add in the oil revenues, it was a place that was doing quite well up through the 90s. But then the socialists took over. This is interesting because you have, you have the Biden administration right before Thanksgiving cutting back on the sanctions that we have on Venezuela. And we could do a, we could do a whole deep dive into you have the Venezuelan. Some of the top government officials are actually officially sanctioned as narco traffickers. To give you a sense of how things are going there, I think the vice president of Venezuela, he certainly was at one point a sanctioned narco trafficker uh, by the U.S. Treasury Department. These are people that are making millions, perhaps even billions over the long haul, um, selling cocaine, heroin into the U.S., poisoning our cities and our people. The Biden administration decided that they were going to take more oil from Venezuela. And what's fascinating, they did this right before Thanksgiving, so nobody would pay attention there's also a country right next to uh, Venezuela, Guyana. Um, my sister's husband's family is from Guyana. 
And Guyana just had the discovery of a considerable, I think it's 11 billion barrels, they estimate, uh, offshore. So this is a huge boon, a huge um, economic game changer for the country of Guyana, which is a U.S. ally aligned with our uh, aligned with us ideologically capitalist in its approach. And at the same time, the Biden administration saying more oil from Venezuela. That sounds good. They vetoed a loan that the U.S. government would the U.S. government was in a position through a public private uh, one of these public private vehicles uh, to make so that Guyana can't develop its offshore reserves. So we'd rather buy oil right now from the evil commies running Venezuela than help an ally in Guyana develop considerable resources, natural uh, uh, fossil fuel resources over the next 10 years. Because, Clay, why? The Green New Deal. And also yes. the Biden regime likes commies. Let's be honest. They totally slid this under the radar. Look, they begged Saudi Arabia to increase oil production, and Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman in particular, basically gave him the back of the hand. Remember, Biden traveled all the way to Saudi Arabia. They didn't want to shake hands, so instead he did a fist bump. And they also kind of slid late at night. The story, by the way, after saying, oh, they're a uh, pariah state, we're not going to treat Saudi Arabia well in the wake of the Jamal Khashoggi uh, murder. They then said, oh, yeah, Mohammed bin Salman, he has diplomatic immunity, which feels to me like, Buck, even more of an attempt to try to get oil out of Saudi Arabia. And so given what's going on with Russia, they have made the calculated decision. We are not going to increase production in the United States because we don't want to upset all these crazy environmentalist Green New Deal uh, people. But instead, we're going to allow Venezuela to increase its production and we're going to give more money to them instead of putting more money into our own country's coffers. So this is just infuriating because it presumes, first of all, that somehow the economy, uh, sorry, the, 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 the overall uh, environment is better off because we're getting oil from those places as opposed to the United States, when in reality, Buck, it's actually worse for the environment because they don't have the same safeguards for oil and gas pumping that we do here. And most in the media just totally don't pay attention to it. And as you mentioned, they drop the news right in going into a holiday weekend, know that most people are not going to focus on it, and it just completely vanishes. It's, to me, emblematic of how broken American energy policy is under the Biden administration. But I think it's significant. I think it needs to be talked about. And you don't have to it, go, it is just so transparently wrong. You don't have to go that far back to read editorials in places like the New York Times that were really optimistic and very defensive even of Chavez. And now, now obviously, it's the Maduro regime took over for Chavez um, because this was this had all the makings of the usual social justice narrative. Oh, there's the the rich elites, and they have access to the oil wealth. And if only we had a government that was more consider uh, more considerate about sharing the wealth and spreading it around, they'll, they'll lift everybody out of poverty. And what they did is they they then seized, they nationalized a lot of assets. They seized the factories. They seized obviously the oil assets first. A socialist regime. They effectively destroyed pri uh, private property and also started instituting price controls. And the price controls mechanism is what really drives things in, into the dumpster because they say, oh, well, we can't get washing machines made or we, you can't find any washing machines in the store. You can't find name any consumer good. We're just going to set the price lower. Well, that creates a death spiral in the markets that that creates massive shortages. It is an economic case study in why you don't actually have people who are so concerned with ending poverty and social justice making determinations about capital flows, making determinations about supply and demand, because they've ruined this country. And I mean, I, I speak to, I, I actually have some friends who are Venezuelan in the Miami area, and you talk to them and, and they say, why doesn't our why doesn't our crisis ever? I mean, obviously, the Cubans in the Miami area have been living this situation for many decades now. But six million people had to flee Venezuela, many of them just with the clothing on their backs. 
because of what has been done in that country and because of idiotic policy decisions, both internally and externally. I just feel like there's a much bigger story here, but we'd rather get the oil from the evil Maduro regime than help Guyana with its 11 billion. The only country in the world, Clay, per capita that they think has more oil than Guyana is Kuwait, just to give everyone a sense of it. That's what a massive find it is, but it'll take some time, and that'll be a big new source of nearby secure energy for the global market, for the U.S. market. They don't want it. They'd rather make the evil dictators in Venezuela rich than actually have a capitalist ally with a longer term horizon of fossil fuel production because they're crazy. I don't know what else to because they think the earth is going to melt and, you know, we're going to be under sea and the polar bears. are. Remember when the polar bears were all going to drown with Al Gore? You know, that now you talk to people, we have people living in Anchorage uh, listening to us right now. Polar bears are everywhere. They're like squirrels. The. uh the other aspect of this buck that is so important, and you're talking about it from South Florida, Venezuelans are overwhelmingly Republican voters now. I love it. Because they, more than anybody else, you have all these Americans uh, who are on the left in this country saying, no, you just don't really understand what socialism is. And the Venezuelans say, actually, that's why we're here. We've seen what happens when a country goes to socialism, because to your point, Venezuela was a very wealthy country. They were doing fantastically well uh, in the Latin American uh, overall like, economic rankings. And now they the, the other thing about the inflation buck is it's been so bad that as soon as you get any money, you feel like you need to run out and spend it because the next day the value is going to be so diminished. You kind of get into that inflation death spiral where you feel compelled to get as much value for your money as you can, which means you have to spend it immediately because whatever you're going to try mm. to buy is going to cost more the next day or the day after. So the last thing you want to be doing is sitting around with that money as it continues to depreciate based on collapsing inflation. And what is among Venezuela's closest allies? Iran. How is the Iranian regime able to pay its security services and military? The oil revenue. How is Venezuela's Maduro regime of... of of thugs and imbeciles how are they able to pay their bills and continue to steal from the people and oppress the you know venezuela man was like you talk to people i haven't been obviously because it's been a mess for the last 15 years or so um but it was a beautiful place with tremendous natural resources and and great people and it has been ruined by socialist idiocy and if you were to ask most kids these days who think they're really politically active and savvy college high school you name it they have no idea what is going on in that country because ultimately there's a sensitivity about it. The Biden administration, there are two things that collide in the Venezuela story that mean that the the regime, our regime doesn't want us to know the truth. The fossil fuel climate change narrative, but then also the socialism and social justice component. So it never really get it never really gets attention. Cuba has been ruined by these things. Venezuela has been ruined by these things. And the Iranian regime, the Venezuelan regime, the Russians, the best thing we can do to deal with those opposition governments, perhaps even enemy governments, is to drill, baby, drill. Get as much domestic U.S. energy production as possible. Depress the global price of oil and energy. Beat them in the marketplace with our much more efficient production by letting the price of gas run up, you keep Maduro, Putin, the, uh, the the mullahs, you keep them in charge. And that used to be actually something that people agreed on, Buck. And then the Green New Deal and the AOCs of the world and the environmentalists totally took control of the Democrat Party. And as a result, we're now having to just give tens of billions of dollars of what would otherwise be United States money to these petro dictatorships beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, you've helped build my pillow into the incredible company it is today without realizing it. Your purchases of their pillows, towels, slippers, and sheets have made this company an American success story. And right now they've got an incredible offer for you, a six-piece towel set. This set made with U.S. cotton, making it extremely absorbent, yet still providing that soft feel you look for in a towel. 
you can get hooked up today with two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths, typically retail for $89.98 for a limited time. You can get this set for the low price of $39.98 with the promo code Clay and Buck. That's 50% off in savings. Every MyPillow product comes with a 10-year warranty, and now for the holiday season, they're extending their 60-day money-back guarantee. Orders placed between now and Christmas will have that money-back guarantee extended all the way until March 1st, 2023. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener specials to get this low, low price, $39.99 on the towel set. Enter the promo code Clay and Buck. You can also call 800 800- 792-3269 for these great radio specials. Inspiring you to seek out the truth. The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, is that that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Encourage all of you to go subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you don't miss a moment. We're coming up on Christmas, the holiday season, and New Year's. All of that rolling in together, no matter where you may be. We want you to be able to find us and listen to us everywhere. And so you can search out my name, Clay Travis. You can search out Buck Sexton. Boom. Also encourage you, given the battles that Elon Musk is currently fighting, now's the time to go sign up for a Twitter account. If you haven't already, you can find me at Clay Travis. You can find Buck Sexton at Buck Sexton there. And you can also find our next guest, Gordon Chang, at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. He is a columnist and author. His books, The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Gordon, thank you for taking the time to join us. If you were advising the Biden White House. We saw their tepid comment and response yesterday about the protests that are emerging in China surrounding zero COVID. What would you tell the Biden White House is the best possible way to support these protesters as they fight back against Chinese authoritarianism? Well, thanks, Clay. And what I would say is that uh, President Biden should publicly and privately tell the Chinese that the United States will impose severe consequences on China should the regime use force against protesters. 
Those words yesterday from uh, Admiral Kirby, the NSC coordinator, and in Biden's statement were really disheartening, um, dispiriting. Because if the United States doesn't defend freedom and democracy, then no country in the world will. And it's not just our effect on China. It's also the effect on other countries around the world where they see we don't defend our values. Gordon Spock, can you just give everybody some sense of how long and and how extreme China's lockdowns have been? Because the way the the Biden administration uh, has spoken about it, it seems to be like, well, that's not our policy and it's probably going to be hard for them to make it work. It seems like there's some pretty extreme video, even by the standards of what we'd expect in China, that's been coming out of some of these lockdowns. What has it been like? Well, just just to give you an example, on Thursday night, there was a fire in an apartment block in Urumqi, and there were reported 10 killed. Most people think it's somewhere between 40 and 50 died. Um, People died, Buck, because some were actually uh, in their apartments and could not get out because the doors were wired shut on the outside. Now, there have also been reports, which are true, because we've seen the video, of people being welded into their apartments. And that is how extreme the zero-COVID policy is, that people are not allowed to leave their apartments for food or for anything else if they're under quarantine. Gordon, how does this end for China? I mean, and, and, and what I mean by that is, it doesn't seem like they're going to get enough natural immunity from COVID based on the zero COVID policy. We know that the COVID shots, no matter which one you take, does not keep you from getting or spreading COVID. So I don't see a pathway out of this for Chairman Z. What is the ultimate way that China handles COVID, given that they are effectively on a zero COVID island now and even attempting to implement this policy? I think that essentially the Communist Party falls because, as you point out, and you're absolutely correct about that, Clay, there is no way out for China. They are going to maintain zero COVID for a variety of reasons. That has already undermined the economy severely. We're seeing uh, not only um, very poor economic growth, if there's any growth at all, um, but there's also been plunging property prices and a falling currency, and those are um, indirect results of zero COVID. China is losing fast its status as the world's factory floor because zero COVID rules have prevented China from not only manufacturing product, but also getting it to ports and on ships for uh, sailing. So really, this has been, um, I think, uh, going to be the end of the Communist Party. Maybe not this week, but the Chinese people who were demonstrating over the weekend were saying down with the Communist Party and they're eventually going to win because there's a lot more of them than there are of party members. Okay, so you say they're eventually going to win, and that's a heck of a prediction. I know you've written about it. What's the time frame of a Communist Party collapse in China look like in your mind? Well, I've been wrong on that, um, so probably I'm the worst person in the world to ask. <laughs> but uh, just to give you some context, I wrote a book in 2001 saying that the Communist Party would fall in a decade. Um In my defense, Clay, I will say I didn't foresee the 2008 downturn, but that's a longer story, which we don't have time to get into. But I think that we're talking about a two or three year time frame, maybe even less than that, Um, because the Chinese people right now are talking about getting rid of Xi Jinping. um, And that is stunning. Um, I didn't expect that. And um, it's, it's those protests that sprung up after the fire on Thursday. Remember, those protests across China, north, south, east, west, they weren't organized. They weren't coordinated. Um, there was no leadership. It's just the people want change. Gordon, when regimes, we're speaking to Gordon Chang, everybody, the U.S., great U.S.-China tech wars, his latest book. Also, at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter is his Twitter handle which we all are big fans of Twitter these days because it's a place where you actually can share your thoughts. Yay. Uh, Gordon, when regimes are under pressure, obviously repression follows in the case of a country that is a totalitarian dictatorship like China. But there's also always the possibility of some kind of external military operation, uh, some effort to unite the population behind you know, the motherland, so to speak, because of a ongoing conquest or invasion, which brings us to Taiwan. Uh, what do you think 
the uh, Chinese Communist Party's aims are um, right now with regard to Taiwan? And are you concerned about the U.S.'s willingness or even capability to do anything about it? I think you're absolutely right that Xi Jinping will think that he can distract the Chinese people from his obvious policy mistakes at home and try to unite them by creating some military misadventure abroad. Taiwan is uh, an obvious candidate, so Philippines and Japan as well. Um, And, you know, it doesn't really matter. What we're talking about is the ability of the United States to defend. And um, with regard to Taiwan, um, Biden personally, you know, you can tell from his four media interviews where he actually said, yes, I will defend Taiwan militarily. But we've seen his administration walk back his comments, um, which not only constitute a constitutional crisis in the U.S., that's because the White House press secretary is not charged by the Constitution with making foreign policy, but also, you know, the Chinese see the disarray. And even if the administration is willing to defend Taiwan, and I tend to think they will, I believe that China believes they won't. And what China believes is really very, very important because they're the actor in this. So, yes, we need to be very concerned. And the other thing, just, Buck, we have a Pentagon, we have a Biden administration that has no sense of urgency about what's going on. And so the Chinese can take us by surprise. Gordon, a lot of times people think of an invasion as a sign of strength. But if you look at the population in China, for example, it's probably already peaked. The one China policy is going to end up being a disaster. They're now trying to get people to have two or three children. But over the next couple of generations, by the way, most Chinese are not doing that, even though they can. Over the next couple of generations, the Chinese population could get cut in half. How much of China wanting to attack and invade Taiwan is about weakness as opposed to strength? Uh, And how do we psychologically analyze Chinese motivation based on that knowledge? Yeah, I think Xi Jinping is seeing a closing window of opportunity to achieve what he believes are historic goals, because you have the uh, debt crisis, uh, plunging property prices, crumbling economy, falling currency, worsening food shortages, deteriorating environment. I can go on. You know, um, and clearly Xi Jinping has no answers to these because his policies are actually aggravating them. So, yeah, I I do believe that there's a use it or lose it mentality. And so that's something. Another thing which I think argues for a, a Chinese invasion sooner rather than later. And by the way, there are two Chinese demographers last fall that actually predicted that China's population would fall in half within 45 years. Gordon, is there any yeah. off-ramp that the Chinese Communist Party may have from him? You mentioned that they they may just continue a zero-COVID policy. Uh, can't they realize at this point, given the protests, that this is... I mean, are, are they doing this just because they're addicted to totalitarian control, or do they still believe the science? It just seems somewhat unfathomable, right? It seems totally irrational, even for a totalitarian actor like the Chinese Communist Party, to think that locking people in their homes for months on end is going to do anything. Yes. Um, yeah, they are addicted to totalitarian control, and they're addicted to something else. You've got to remember that the current ruler, Xi Jinping, is reveres Mao. And Mao believed that China's communists could do anything in the world. You know, they could conquer nature, they could do whatever. And so I think they believe that they can um, conquer SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen that causes COVID-19. So um, uh, they believe that, and and Xi Jinping generally believes that his will um, can accomplish anything. So that's another layer on a very dangerous mentality. So, yeah, this guy is, this is not something that people outside China, uh, it's easy for them to fathom because it is just so abnormal, so ludicrous. But that's what they believe, and that's what's important. That's what they believe. Gordon, if we'd had this conversation in the 1980s, uh, everybody was terrified of Japan. Uh, Japan was buying up all the property in the United States. The economy of Japan was white hot. The idea was Japan's taking over the world. Over the last 40 years, Japan has mostly been stagnant, and they fell apart um, in the late 80s. 
What does the future of China look like? Do you believe that China will become the biggest economy in the world? If they do, can they stay there? What does China look like in 40 years? If communism collapses, what replaces it? You mentioned the demographic. I'm fascinated by it. Uh, the demographics of potentially the Chinese population being cut in half. We know Japan is declining its population, aging rapidly. The same thing's going to happen in China. How does this end? Um, it, well, it certainly doesn't end with um, the Chinese dominating the world. Um, you know, I graduated college. I'm, I'm going to date myself here. I graduated college during the Arab oil embargo, and I just knew that I was going to be working for some sheikh for the rest of my life. So when the Japanese at the end of the 1980s looked like that they were going to own planet Earth, I said, I don't know how this ends, but it's not going to end that way because I'm not working for some Arab. Um, and the same thing with China. Um, China in 40 years, I think, is going to be a weak country could very well be divided, cut up, who knows where it's going to be. But it's not going to be ruling the world. Um, you know, and it's not just demography. Um, it is everything else that is, all these crises are hitting China at the same time. And it would be a challenge for any group of leaders, but it's certainly a challenge for a Maoist who has lost touch with uh, the world as it is. Gordon Chang, I mean, this is fantastic stuff. At Gordon S. Chang on Twitter. Go follow him there. Thank him for coming on the show. Read his books. Gordon, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Clay, and thank you so much, Buck. Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. Great stuff. By the way, I don't think I didn't. I mean, I'm I, telling Gordon you, Buck. doesn't look a day over 40, by the way. What does it say he graduated <laughs> during the oil embargo? No way. Yeah, no, he's he's aging a lot better than I am, for sure. And I just I'm fascinated by all of the demographic data coming out of China and where we're headed. I think the Chinese Chinese government and the Chinese uh, economy in general, I agree with Gordon, is way weaker than we're analyzing. And I just I don't know where it's headed, but I'm not as afraid of China in 10 years as I am right now because I think they're acting out of weakness, not strength. Early on, remember, there were people who were concerned there was this theory, and it was not correct, but there's theory out there, oh, well, China was trying to get ahead of us with COVID, and they're going to come out of it so much stronger than we are, and they're doing yeah. their lockdowns so much stronger, therefore, they'll come out sooner, and they'll be so much better. Totally the opposite. Totally the opposite. Yes. So many people, you know, the experts, the blue checks, were so wrong about COVID and, and still are so wrong about China. And that's one reason they're not speaking out very much about these Chinese protests is because they would have to acknowledge that the lockdowns and the shutdowns, which they pointed to as a great strength of China, and by the way, New Zealand and Australia, which have completely abandoned them, yeah. they're not if, really if stepping China's, out there because it requires acknowledgement. Here's of the wrong, problem wrong with, for Biden in the White House. If China's super strict lockdowns were utterly pointless and devastating, which they were, what were our half-ass lockdowns in this country, in New York, in L.A., in San Fran, and et cetera? What were they, Clay? Oh, it's why they're not talking about it very much. I really do firmly believe it. The Tuttle Twins, by the way, we were talking about educating your kids and making them aware of what's going on. Tuttle Twins are extending their Cyber Monday deal into Cyber Week. This is the book publisher creating great educational book for kids. My own kids are reading these books because guess what? A lot of kids don't learn the basics about the free market. They don't learn the basics about American history. They learn the opposite of America's sterling record over time and being the shining country on a hill. Tuttle Twins make it easy for kids and teens to learn these important concepts. They'll be able to navigate things like inflation, how business and money work in the real world. Heck, I wish the Biden administration was reading these. Uh, parents have been blown away at what their kids are able to grasp, all thanks to the Tuttle Twins approach. Right now, 50% discount on the free market economy curriculum designed with activities for young and old kids. They've sold more than 4 million copies of their books to date, giving you an idea just how received and well-received those books have been. Great gift for any young kid, any young student, whether it's your kids or your grandkids. Get hooked up now. Go to TuttleRadio.com for this special deal. TuttleRadio.com, 50% off the free market economic curriculum. TuttleRadio.com. Make an appointment with the truth. Tune in every day to the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Welcome back, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. 
I am sitting here as our Clay and Buck VIP members, I believe, can see, holding up my jersey. I am wearing a U.S. soccer jersey, as in a little bit less than 30 minutes, the United States is going to be playing Iran in a win-or-go-home scenario. If you if you are out there and you hate uh, soccer ties and everything else, the United States has only two options. You win or your season is over. Your World Cup is over. Win and you advance to the round of 16 for a knockout stage, lose or tie, and your time in Qatar is over. So in about 30 minutes, I'm going to turn on the television, do my best not to react during the final hour of the program as we do this show, and also Buck is trying to avoid, I believe, the score. So that's the sports aspect. Does anybody think that Clay is going to keep a poker face on? while Because I don't think any of us believe Clay gets so excited over the big sports ball <laughs> events. So this is going to be a fun thing to watch him. He's like, I'm going to watch him with his, with his face, you know, his, his upper lip quivering just a little bit as he sees what's going on. But I'm going to watch it afterwards. And, you know, I, um, you know, I actually was at the World Cup. In I saw a match in 1994. My dad took me, so that was like the when they were in the United States. Yes, that was. Where where did you go to a game in in, in Uh, New York area? Giant Stadium. I saw. I remember it was like Morocco, and I forget who they were playing. I was young, and I was I was a kid. I don't remember, Um, but I I did go with my high school soccer team to the World Cup in France in 1998. We had like a fundraiser. We'd like a walkathon or something. We raised money, and then the team went over there. Um, and I saw Belgium play Holland, which is like those tiny countries next door both descended upon Paris, the whole countries for that, yeah. that soccer match. It was pretty wild. That is pretty cool. So now the, the game itself, obviously rooting for the United States against Iran. This is a big deal geopolitically, too. Uh, we played yesterday on Graham, the Iranian propagandist, a.k.a. their media, grilling the United States uh, players and coach and arguing, oh, you guys are not actually free, right? Um, But this is pretty monstrous because Iran is in the middle buck of a real sort of, I would say, vanguard uprising against their government over the way women are treated in that country. And so they have told the Iranian soccer team, and this is why I'm going to be watching irrespective of what happens in the game, there are reports that they have told the members of the Iranian soccer team that if they do not sing the national anthem, they are going to torture their family members back in Iran. So I want everyone out there to just think about this for a minute. We've had sports and politics colliding for years over the national anthem in this country, and what has ended up happening is the Colin Kaepernick's of the world have made millions of dollars by refusing to stand for the national anthem. In other words, our woke companies have actually rewarded them for their protest. In Iran, if you don't sing the national anthem, they are reportedly going to torture the family members of these soccer players. This is a different level of bravery. It's a different level of pressure. It's a different level of significance for all of these Iranian players who in the opening game of the World Cup did not sing the national anthem because they were supporting all of the women who are protesting in Iran for basic human rights, which they currently do not have. Look, there's a lot of bad blood between the regimes, but a lot of solidarity between the people, our people and their people, at least those in Iran who want freedom. Our regime and the Iranian, uh, well, our government and the Iranian regime obviously has had, in all senses, a deeply troubled and hostile, openly hostile relationship since 1979, since they took hostages at the U.S. Embassy. And uh, the fact that this was such a, a big thing for Iran in 1994 when they beat the U.S. men's team 2-1 to one, is, is partly indicative, I think, one, of they never get wins against the U.S., really. I mean, you know, you, you look at the Iranian government's uh, it, it's a sclerotic kleptocracy of look at mullahs. you, Mister Vocab. Uh, that that one just kind of flowed. I don't know what to say, yeah. but yeah, it's it's a bunch it's a bunch of um, dictators in clerical robes, and the economy is garbage, uh, which it shouldn't be. 
The only reason they're able to fund their military and other government expenditures is because they have oil. If they didn't, the whole place would would be in in free fall collapse. Uh, The regime doesn't actually liberalize in meaningful ways. We keep going through these phases where we say, oh, maybe now it's a government of hardliners, too. About a decade ago, there was a moment. Oh, they're going to have the they're going to moderate things. Remember the Obama administration, the Iran deal? Yes, we're going to we're going to bring them normalize things with them. No, they just got crazier, actually. So. There's not also a whole lot else going on in the international scene for Iran. You know, there are there are people listening right now who are like, Buck, I don't even care. Clay, I don't even care about the U.S. men's national soccer team. In Iran, the whole country is going to watch. There's really nothing. There's no other game in town, so to speak. And this is their one opportunity to try to get some kind of a win on the world stage against the United States. And I also feel like, unfortunately, that creates all these... Like, none of the U.S. players should feel geopolitical pressure. Like right. They should have the normal, like, we're Americans, we kick butt, like, go get them, guys. But they shouldn't feel geopolitical pressure to perform. But I think some of them are going to because they realize, you know, there was, remember the axis of evil? This is part of the axis of evil, folks. Well, and if the United States loses, there will be a celebration, the death to America chance, the burning of the American flag, I'm sure will be taking place in Iranian streets, and and that'll be be encouraged by government propagandists. Buck, I actually think, I don't think the Biden White House will do it, but it would be an incredible moment of bravery for our country to speak out and say that we will not allow Iran to attack the family members of the Iranian soccer team. Now, it's not I don't something think we could follow through on. Unfortunately, I don't think don't, something we could. We, well, I don't we, could, we have. I don't think we, we, we look. That's the, the problem is that you're going to have these Iranian players at the mercy of this regime. And we don't have that many. We don't have that many levers in Iran. We don't even have diplomatic relations with Iran. We have to. I think the only the thing Swiss we can do is is say we're once and for all we're done negotiating and we're actually going to adopt. This is what we should do. We're actually going to adopt the Israeli perspective. The Israelis have been running roughshod over the Iranian nuclear program for some time. They've been sabotaging it. They've been executing high-level Iranian scientists. I think if the United States was actually being run in a honest and straightforward and, 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 and trustworthy manner, we would just say that, right? We're done with all this ridiculous negotiations. You guys are terrorists. You are, as you said, kleptocrats using clerical robes to try to ruin a country and a people that actually overwhelmingly reject the the, the, the validity of their rulers. And so we're going to actually go to war in a sense with you over your ability to get nuclear weapons. And Israel has basically said it. I don't know why we're pretending that we're not doing it. Just let that be known. Um, well, and I hope we kick their ass in soccer. We've been, yeah, I hope we beat them in soccer. I mean, the geopolitical side of this, there's some some nuances and and some uh, some other components. I mean, for one thing, Clay, we've been fighting various proxy wars against the Iranians for forever in the Middle East. Really, I mean, stretching back certainly to 1979, um, they were getting they were going after us in Iraq, and then we went out, you know, we killed Qasem Soleimani. I mean, there's been a yeah. lot of back and forth. So I don't, you know, yeah, these, first of all, the Israelis about their operations don't talk about anything. That's their policy. So there's U.S. reporting or, you know, Western Western uh, reporting on what's happening to a nuclear scientist. The Israelis keep all that stuff real quiet, whatever they're doing or not doing. That's one part of this. But obviously, everybody knows that there is a there are open hostilities going on between Iran and Israel. The problem that I think is raised with what you're saying or, you know, with, with the approach of why don't we just say this? Clay, the Democrat Party thinks that we're the problem with Iran. That's I really know. the problem. They think we're the problem. So they that's why I'm saying if we actually of, had honest policy, it would be great to just stand up and actually point out that that's not true. Yeah, I mean, there there are, if you walk around the streets of New York or L.A. or San Fran or Chicago or D.C., not to mention a whole bunch of other places, and you just ask random passers-by on the street who think they know about geopolitics, hey, you know, we have a tough relationship with Iran. Whose fault is it? You get a lot of them be like, oh, it's American imperialism, and it's because, and some of them would even try to show off and be like, oh, it's because of what we did to, to, to with the Shah and Mossadegh. And, you know, they start going back to the 1950s, 1960s. 
So they think it's our fault, Clay. That's the problem, and that's unfortunately half the country. The Blame America First Caucus is alive and well on the Iranian issue. Well, there's an obsession, obviously, based on who Trump is having dinner with, with the idea that Republicans are anti-Semitic. There's actually a hugely anti-Semitic portion of the Democrat base right now that refuses to stand up for Israel, that refuses to condemn many of these Middle Eastern countries for their clearly anti-Semitic behavior. I mean, even on Twitter, the, the they still have Khomeini on Twitter, and I believe I'm correct, Buck, that he has basically said that the Jewish uh, you know, attacked Jews regularly from his Twitter account uh, and of course, he's not banned. Uh, and 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 to Elon I mean, Clay, credit, but does Khomeini list his preferred pronouns? Yeah. Because you know Twitter has rules, or at least it used to. I don't think they're going to have any uh, any admirals who are uh, transgender anytime soon in the uh, in the Iranian uh, military. Uh, look, that game coming up soon, but it is a major geopolitical flashpoint, and it will be intriguing to see in about fifteen minutes how that game begins and whether the Iranian players do or do not sing the national anthem uh, of their country and whether those uh, threats of terror activity on behalf uh, against their family are going to emerge. It's a story that may well pop in the next 15 minutes or so. Uh, Look, the shopping crush, both a blessing and a curse for small business owners. Visits to the post office, UPS store at the time of year, you know, it takes forever. And it's oftentimes time that you just don't have to be standing there waiting to be able to ship packages that's why stamps.com is your solution not too late to get your holiday mailing and shipping under control with stamps.com sign up now and you'll be printing your own postage in minutes we are doing this in the travis household in fact i need to get buck's address for the christmas card list my wife was just saying where are Buck and Carrie going to be living? I need their address. She's obsessed with the Christmas card list. All these stamps being printed out by stamps.com. You can get started yourself with stamps.com today. Sign up with the promo code Clay and Buck for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitment or contracts to sign. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, enter the code clay and buck that's stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page enter the code clay and buck two of the hardest voices to tell apart but one unified voice when it comes to the truth the clay travis and buck sexton show hey i'm jay shetty and i'm the host of the on purpose podcast On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of 
Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. It is Clay and Buck Tom on this Tuesday, everybody. Welcome in to our show. We've got a lot to discuss, especially for you soccer fans out there. It's going to be quite a day. And we have the U.S. versus Iran coming up during I- I- Iran. Not to be confused with Iran, apparently, according to that journalist yesterday. Super offensive yeah. to mispronounce Super the country's offensive. name. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that... The Iranian journalists who are propagandists would go around correcting people from other countries about their pronunciation. We'll get into that in a little bit. My man Clay here is going to break down some of the big implications of the, really for Iran, the biggest sporting event in many ways since 1998. For us, well, we'll see. We'll talk about it. And we've also got the Washington Post. It seems like the live media can't figure out if The murder increase in this country that has happened nationwide is something that's just a right-wing scare tactic, or it's just obvious from all the data, because it is. Washington Post today has front-page story up on the the web about um, the spike in murders across the country. Plus, we've got a, a strange story that we will make some sense of, if it's possible, A Biden administration nuclear energy expert stole woman's a woman's luggage, um, had it for a month, took it from the airport carousel, unpacked the female victim's clothing. And this individual is not only a deputy assistant secretary, a DAS in government speak, but also a trans activist who does kink workshops. For also, this is a guy, by the way. They keep calling the person a they in a lot of the reporting who does kink workshops for people who dress up as puppies. Have you seen this? I, yes. Yeah. I, I, I don't mean, even understand some of this craziness. Yeah. Not the workshop, but I just mean the reporting. Like, I can't, there are some things I can't fully watch through, even for my job here. Um, and, and then also perhaps we'll talk a bit about what's going on with these. Look, Balenciaga, I have never bought anything from Balenciaga. I don't really know it very well as a brand, but it's a it's an expensive, fancy fashion brand, and their ads are completely depraved, and, and they're not even really able to defend it, even in the most left-wing, friendly environments uh, possible. So we can talk about that in a bit. But I, I want to start off today, Clay, with I think Elon is... Framing this discussion in exactly the right way. I think the way that Elon is lining this up is important for everyone to see and hear. He is saying, well, his fight right now for free speech online, and you could certainly say the looming battle with Apple weighs in heavily to this. This was a tweet that he put out to his hundred million followers. This is a battle for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost, even in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead. And almost as if on cue, Clay, Karine Jean-Pierre from the White House jumps in to say, nice Twitter you got there, Elon. Be ashamed if something happened to it. Play clip one. There's a researcher at Stanford who says that this is a critical moment, really, in terms of ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? This is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. Keeping an eye on Twitter misinformation, Clay? Oh, boy. This is one of the most important battles of the 21st century. And every day we're in the business, we come on and we talk about story. And one thing that I believe Axelrod, it was, who would refer to stories as nothing burgers, which I think is actually accurate during the Obama White House, because one of the real challenges, and I know many of you out there feel it, is there's so much information coming in every single day at such rapid rates of speed, it's hard to know what matters and what is still going to be a story in 24 hours. 
Most stories are disposable. They don't matter after 24 hours. A week-long story is rare. A month-long story is very rare. And a year-long story or a multi-year story is virtually unheard of. This is a multi-decade story. And let me explain what I mean by that. China, everybody out there understands this. China has created the Great Wall of the Chinese Internet. They control what you can and cannot see in that country across the board. Example, World Cup is being played right now. China is editing the World Cup feed that arrives in its country to take away footage of fans in the stands because China doesn't want its people to know that none of the fans are wearing masks because they still require masks, because they're still supporting zero COVID. They are artificially manipulating what you were able to see on television, what you're able to see on the Internet. They are a thought control society. Most Americans, and I bet almost every single one of you listening to us right now, knows that that is wrong. The Biden White House and Democrats in collusion with big tech are trying to do the same thing here. They're not doing it directly themselves because it would be a First Amendment violation, but they are effectively deputizing all of these big tech companies to do what the United States government could not do itself. And most of these big tech companies are aligned so much culturally with the Democrat Party that they are happy to do their bidding. What's occurring here is in the world of tech, they've got everything And right now, we basically have Elon Musk. And to his credit, Elon Musk sees what is happening and has the wherewithal and the willingness to stand athwart this idea, point it out, and call it out. And Buck, we could make fun of Karine Jean-Pierre, and she, I think, is the dumbest person to ever be White House press secretary in our nation's history. And we've got a clip that just continues to bring that home here in a little bit. But Jen Psaki was saying the same thing. In fact, Jen Psaki was actually more aggressively saying what Corinne Jean-Pierre just said, which is they were sending, and I think some of these lawsuits are going to provide more and more evidence of it, Twitter accounts that they didn't like, Facebook accounts that they didn't like, demanding that those people be censored. And Elon now is saying, hey, I'm about to release all this public information, and I hope he does it to show how much of a rig job has been in effect on Twitter and how much, frankly, it has distorted our American democracy and our entire marketplace of ideas. He's going to release, he says, Elon has put out in the last 24 hours that the New York Post uh, story that was uh, suppressed. We all know this. This is a matter of record. They've They've even admitted it and said, yeah, it probably wasn't a great idea now. But it actually for them was a great idea because it wasn't about misinformation. It was about an election, and we all know that. And the whole purpose was to make sure that there wasn't an October surprise that hurt Democrats right before the 2020 election. So they got their way, even if afterwards they say, whoopsie, I guess we made a little a little mistake here. But it's bigger than that, because now instead of just being able to say it's a mistake, Clay, which is their plausible deniability, even if many people would see it as implausible. I certainly do. You certainly do. But now if we see their internal communications, which Elon is saying he will release, you will see one of the most powerful technology companies in the country um, essentially, I believe, laying out the reasoning for why they're going to suppress a story that possibly could cost Joe Biden the election. And and because they never thought that this stuff would be public, they never thought that anybody would get access to it. They were probably sloppy. No one ever thought Elon was going to buy Twitter for forty four billion dollars. Right. No one thought he was going to take a company that was public private in this way. Never going to happen. Right. Whoops. They made a mistake on that one. And and I think that we we all have to remember that that the focus here on on misinformation is really just a way of changing, once again, changing the words that are used to justify something that should be completely unacceptable to all Americans, which is the government deciding some ideas, some points of view are okay, and some are not. This is flagrant First Amendment violation. We all know this. We're going to see this. And the people who keep complaining about misinformation online are the same people who are saying that you should wear a mask because it saves you from COVID and women can get pregnant etc etc we see this all across the board uh governor ron DeSantis, by the way he realizes look it's not enough just to make the case we got to use the tools we have on our side too maybe it's time to have a good long look at some of these companies including apple 
and the Apple Store, including Google, including you name it, for monopolies. Here is Ron DeSantis talking about this, and you react. Do we have it? Nope. Well, we'll get it. Musk is actually opening it up for free speech and is restoring a lot of accounts that were unfairly and illegitimately suspended for putting out accurate information about COVID. The old regime in Twitter, their response was to try to just suffocate the dissent. And and, and Elon Musk knows that's not a winning formula, and so he's uh, providing free speech. And so if Apple responds to that, by nuking them from from the app store, you know, I think that that would be a huge, huge mistake, and it would be a really raw exercise of monopolistic power that I think would merit a response uh, from from the United States Congress. Merit a response, Clay. Yeah, DeSantis is smart enough to understand these issues and why they matter. And look, there are a lot of politicians that aren't. Uh, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, there are a lot of politicians. You may like them, you may vote for them, that aren't smart enough to understand what issues are at stake and which matter. I said this is a multi-decade struggle. It's a story that is going to matter for decades. The monopolistic power of Apple and Google in particular to control huge aspects of what we see and hear and experience on a day-to-day basis, not to mention, Buck, the rapidly growing power of TikTok, which is a Chinese company that may well be designed at some point to make your kids hate America. I hate to bring it up. I mean, I look, we're trying to learn how to use TikTok on Outkick Buck. We had a video that went up the other day that did 400,000 views in the amount of time, basically, that you can snap your fingers. I don't understand how the TikTok algorithm works, but I know that my kids use TikTok like you or me would use Google. That is, I, can I just ask the, t- why, why do we always assume, Clay, at this point, and maybe I break with some conservatives here, everyone's so worried about TikTok. Do they realize what Google has on everybody? Yeah. And the amount of influence that Google is run by libs? Google wants, you know, they want you eating bugs, masking up, yeah. getting your shots, shut up, use the 57 pronouns or whatever. And that's right here. And they control the Internet. So I just think it's fascinating that, we're oh, TikTok. I think it's easier for people to talk the big game about how TikTok is owned by China. So we should all be so scared. What about big tech here? Yeah, no doubt. And Google, by the way, owns YouTube, too. So your kids and grandkids are not spending very much time sitting down in front of the television and turning it on. I'd like to think that they're listening to this show. But guess what? They're in school right now. I hope they're listening to the podcast. I hope you're sharing some of the segments that we discuss here and at least allowing them to contemplate these discussions. But this is a this is a monster battle. And it's why I'm going to keep hammering this home to all of you. Go sign up for Twitter. okay? if you want to be involved in this battle. Elon Musk, there are so many billionaires. What have I been saying on this show for a long time, Buck? One of the things that's super frustrating to me is the number of people that are very wealthy and say, I agree with everything you say, but I can't say anything about it because of my company, because of uh, because of what might happen. Well, that's how we end up here. So Elon is actually brave enough to put his money where his mouth is and to be fighting this battle. And I have to say, look, Elon says, hey, one reason I want to send spaceships to, to the to, to the outer space is because we have to be a multi-planetary planetary species. Like, he wants to die on Mars one day. I respect that. He's taking big swings on behalf of humanity. And I think if you are a rational and intelligent person, the biggest threat that exists in the world today is big tech's ability to curtail information and keep you from seeing the truth. And what Elon is doing, and I'm not sure how the business aspects of Twitter are going to apply here. It's why yesterday I floated the idea of him buying Fox, but it's really going to be an existential struggle on so many levels to get this all worked out. We're going to continue to talk about it because I think it's a multi-decade important story that, frankly, a lot of media don't understand, and even a lot of politicians, credit to DeSantis, aren't smart enough to understand themselves either. Uh, guess what? There's a phrase often used in business. If you want to get something done right away, give it to the busiest person around you. You know the one with the boundless energy, ability to get it done. Where does that kind of energy come from? Body chemistry, pure and simple. That's our friends at Chalk. Do you feel like you don't have the energy that you used to? Do you feel maybe like you're dragging on a day-to-day basis? 
Do you not have as much vim, vigor, vitality as you used to? Do you look and feel sometimes like the Biden White House looks and feels? Is your testosterone down? Are you not feeling like the man that you used to? Well, how about getting hooked up today at chalk.com? I wish we could give this to the Biden White House right now. CHOQ.com. If you look at the weak examples of masculinity emanating from the Biden White House every single day. How much of a difference could Chalk.com make for them? Maybe it could make a difference for you and your family, for your life, too. If you go to Chalk.com, C-H-O-Q.com, you can get hooked up with 35% off any Chalk subscription for life. You can use the code CLAY, that's my name, C-L-A-Y, go to C-H-O-Q.com, that's Chalk.com, and use my name, 35% off for life. You can cancel at any time. 35% 35% off for life. Go check it out today. CHOQ.com. My name, Clay. They're here to shed light on the truth every day. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kiwi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.